0: Well, we're going to be reading from 1 Timothy 2. If you are using the Church Bibles, it's on page 991. And it says this. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men and man. Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the man should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarrelling. Likewise, also the woman should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control through childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Well, we're going to have a look at that passage, Uh, but before we do, a few things to mention. There'll be an opportunity to ask questions or make comments at the end. There's a sermon, sermon outline in your... So sheet and most importantly, let's pray and ask God to help us. Dear Heavenly Fathers, we reflect on one Timothy two. We pray, Lord, that you'll help us to understand it uh, and make sense of it. We do thank you that you gave us Paul, your servant, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and now that salvation is available to all. And we thank you, Lord, as well, that you've reestablished the creation order that was lost at the fall. And we pray, Lord, that we'd reflect that uh, in our lives. Amen. Amen. Well, when God creates the world, he brings order to chaos. The earth is described as being without form and void. But as the days pass... God creates an ordered world. At a high point of creation, God says, let us make man in our image. And then we have the well-known refrain. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God then blessed humanity and gave the man and woman dominion over the earth that God had created. Not only do we have order in creation, in how it's created and made, but there's also order in how it's arranged and managed. So God rules over humanity. Humanity rules over creation. Now we can add further details to this when we come to Genesis 2. That's of course what we read earlier and we see there that man is created first. And he's given the task of naming the animals. This is a task that until now, God had carried out. It was he who named the light, day, sea and land. But now man is given the authority to name a part of creation, the animals. When no suitable helper is found for man, woman is created from man. And then the man names the woman. And so we can slightly adjust the creation order. God rules over the man. The man over the woman And the man and the woman rule over creation. And as Genesis 2 comes to an end, we read, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Notice that all all of this has been established before the fall. This is all under that same evaluation of God of being very good, that we find at the end of creation. And notice that we also see the man and his wife are living perfectly together. They are without shame. Now, it's worth teasing this out a little further. What makes man and woman remarkable? Well, the first thing is both man and woman are made in the image of God. The animals, they aren't made in the image of God. It was only when man and woman was made that God first said, "Let us make man in our image." This is important because the man and the woman are both equally made in the image of God. One is not more or less made in the image of God. They're both of the same being. That is of being made. In the image of God. The second thing that makes man and woman remarkable is that they're not identical. There is much that the man and woman can both do, and both have the same capability, but if they were identical in every way, then they would lose any distinction. And then the man and the woman would become synonymous. And then there would no longer be man and woman. And a good example of this is as He might, a man cannot have a baby, but a woman can. Now, there is one other thing to say. Is worth determined by role? That is to say... If my role is limited, do I necessarily have a diminished personal worth? Well, if anything, the Bible turns this idea on its head anyhow. The last will be first. The suffering servant is not less than those he served. The church is described as Christ's body. And there are many different parts with different roles. But each part should have equal concern for the others. And then we have the Trinity itself. Father, Son and Spirit have an eternal division of roles. And yet each member are co-equal. If role and worth were equated then we would have to conclude that the son, who is subservient to the father, is of less worth than the father. But this isn't the case. Instead, in the kingdom of God, role isn't important. Rather, what matters is repentance from sins, perseverance, and continuing to the end. Now, there's one more thing to mention before we have a brief look at today's passage. In Genesis 3, the creation order we spoke about a moment ago is reversed. So creation is represented by the serpent. And it's the serpent representing creation that persuades the woman to eat from the tree. The man who appears to have been present throughout this episode, but fails to intervene, takes the fruit to eat from the woman. And God, well, he's forgotten about. And so God's intended order has been inverted. But this provides us with an anticipation or an expectation that God will re-establish this creation order And God's people will one day reflect the created order as first intended. Now, hopefully, this provides us with a solid foundation to understand the problems that Paul has sent Timothy to address at the church in Ephesus, at least in chapter 2. So let's have a quick scan through the passage. The first thing appears to be that the obsession with myths and genealogies has led the church to only pray for those who they believe are among those who can be saved. But there's a problem with this because it completely undermines God's plan and gospel. Because the gospel is for all people. When Jesus died, he gave himself a ransom for all people. And since there's only one God and one Jesus Christ, this means outside of Christianity, there is no alternative means of salvation. So the people should pray in 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 line with what pleases God and his desires. And they should pray in line with the plan that he's fulfilling through his servant Paul. As he sends him out to the Gentiles, to all people. The people should pray for the salvation of all people and not limit it. Paul is critical of the men in the congregation who are fighting while they're praying. So Paul tells them not to be angry. The women in the congregation, they're more concerned with their appearance than their godliness. So he comments on this. Now, when we come to eleven to fifteen of one Timothy two, I think the easiest way to understand it is in the context that we've already outlined. So let's just read it uh, again, eleven to fifteen, just to remind ourselves of what it says. I desire then that in every place the man should pray. Hang on, eleven to fifteen. Now, the first thing to say is, women can teach. Elsewhere, in Timothy, in fact, they are given the role of teaching children and other women. Here, it's said that they're not to teach and have authority over men. Now, the reason Paul gives for this is because Adam was created first before Eve. And this takes us back to the creation order as it was before the fall. Then we see the church is intended to reflect the creation order as God had intended. So there's this sense that the creation order has been established. It's then been reversed at the fall. And so the church is to bring that creation order back and reflect it. Then, when it says Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor, this takes us back to the creation order as it is reversed. Eve, deceived by the serpent, eats of the fruit and gives to the man who eats. Notice that if Paul was to stop at verse 14, it would be quite abrupt it would leave the woman's salvation in doubt. The thought would end on the woman being a transgressor. So Paul continues to explain in verse 15 how salvation is available for the woman. They are to work out their salvation in the roles that they've been given. And one example is given here of childbearing. So what we see is there's an expectation that the church would reflect the creation order that was lost at the fall. And the roles that have been given to us from the beginning should be tangible in the people of God. Now as we finish, if we go back to a thought we began with. The relationship between role and worth. It's the world that believes that role is equated with worth. But this leads the world into a state of confusion. If we measure my importance in what contribution I make to society, then when I'm old and I've lost my mind, then I'm considered a drain on society. Or if the unborn child has a high probability of being born with a perceived lower quality of life. Then it's considered the right thing to do to terminate the pregnancy. But this has further problems. If I believe my role is where my worth lies, what if I have an accident? And what if the accident is permanently debilitating Or maybe if we think just at a much lower level, what if I have a role that gives me that sense of worth, but I give it up to raise children? Will I be able to cope when I forego my life defining role? Or maybe the unthinkable occurs and I'm made redundant from the role that gives me that sense of worth. But you see, the Christians shouldn't have this problem because a role is not something we are forever chasing after. Rather, we know our worth comes first from being made in the image of God. And the fact that our roles differ brings great diversity to us as image bearers. And our worth comes from the fact that we have been bought by the blood of God. And it comes from the fact that we're part of the body of Christ, united as one body, but of various diverse parts. And the lesser parts, not being less cared for than the greater. But actually, the so-called greater parts, being dependent and reliant upon the so-called lesser parts so that actually they are a necessary part that cannot be lacking. Our worth is found in that we're raised with Christ and seated with him. And in our union with him, we have every spiritual blessing. And all of this remains true whatever role I play. And it remains true when I've been made redundant. It remains true after a debilitating illness. And it would even remain true if I couldn't remember who I was or the members of my family were. Our worth as creature is found in our relationship with our creator. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have made us in your image. And although in many ways we fail to reflect your character, even without knowing it, do we reflect your character and nature because we have been made by you. And as we reflect upon these things and think about the implications it has for us as a church and as a family and as individuals, We pray, Lord, that we would reflect your creation order and know that our worth comes not from our role, but because you have created us, redeemed us, and seated us with your Son. And we look forward to dwelling with you in eternity. Amen. Well, I said there'd be an opportunity for questions, Uh, that moment has arrived. Any thoughts or comments? Yes, Susie. Yes, good question, helpful question. So, just to repeat for the recording, so verse 14, Paul says Adam was not deceived, but that surely doesn't mean that Adam is being let off the hook. It's just that Paul's not saying everything here. Yeah, no, I think you're precisely right. So, I think what's going on in verse 14 is a distinction is being made in that the deception takes place when the serpent deceives Eve. But what happens, presumably, when Adam takes the fruit from um, the woman is is different, it's, it isn't a deception, which probably doesn't paint him in a good light. Um, now, the other thing to mention is, elsewhere, it is... Adam, like so for example in Romans 5, it falls to Adam. He's the one who introduces sin into the world, as it were. So he's certainly not being let off the hook in Paul's thought. Um, And I think... I mean, there's an awful lot written on this verse and all the other verses. But I, what I ended up taking it to mean was... Yeah, just that sort of reverse of creation order. So it was the serpent who presented himself to the woman, the woman who then was deceived. She then gave it to Adam and then you've got that reversal of creation order. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, that's why I want to be too, I, don't, I want to be overcautious over with not reading too much into it. And, you know, there's not much given away. Katie. Yes. So to repeat the question for the recording. Um, so in verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, rather, she should remain quiet. Um, how does that effectively work in the real world, sort of thing? Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think this is like, well, what what do you kind of do with that? Um, so, I mean, I guess you could do something silly and say, oh, uh, I've just decided that I'm going to go to a evening class. It is on, I don't know, whatever it is on. Um, I don't know. What? What? Yeah, basket weaving, of course. Um, but then I go to my basket weaving course, and uh, I'm absolutely disgusted because a woman's teaching. So I, I throw my basket or half-made basket on the floor and charge out. I'm not going to go there because that's reversal of the creation order. You know, that, that's not... Um, You know, if you want to go to a basket weaving course and it's a woman, you know that's fine, of course. I mean, it's a nonsense. That's not the sort of um, thing we're talking about. I mean, the other thing that's worth saying is, um, well, you all know that Caroline is cleverer than I am. That's not up for grabs. Um, if, If we want to talk in terms of intelligence and capability, you know, in the bare facts, she's the one with the uh, Cambridge degree, and I went to Bradford. <laughs> uh, she did her, you know, and all this sort of stuff, you know. It, this is not a ma- matter of ability or capability. Um, okay, so, I mean, interesting as well, let, so let's go a little bit more. What does it mean then? Um, I mean, it does get it does get very confusing. So, you kind of think in terms of, obviously, um, we, we get later on in 2 Timothy that um, women teach children. And that, of course, includes male children. So, that's not a problem either. Um, interestingly, there's a number of commentaries that are written by women. They're very good commentaries. And why wouldn't they be very good commentaries? there's a very a lot of commentaries that I'm, I imagine written by women they're very bad commentaries but some of the commentaries written by men are very bad as well some of them are good you know it, well, but once again this is not about capability and um, I think there's one in 1 Peter Karen Jobs wrote a very good commentary that I've used on that so it's not an intelligence thing. but rather um So I guess the question is, yeah, how then do you, what do you do with it? How do you formulate it? Um, And so one suggestion is that your elders of a church are men. Not because only elders can, well, it is because only elders can be men in this scenario. But not because women haven't got the capability to do it. But it's just because that's a role that's been given to men and not been given to women. So pastors would be men and not women, not because women couldn't pastor, but because it's just been a role that's been given to uh, men and not women. And so then you have this creation order of God ruling over man, men, men teaching women, and men and women ruling over creation. Now, obviously, we live in a world where a lot of churches... Well, for for a long time in history, that's been the case. Um, But in recent years, things have changed, and that's not been the case. But I think the thing that I think is interesting is... What has been the drive to change things... And I'm not—I'm just raising this as a question. What's been the drive to change things, and what has been the motivation, and has it been a honest and earnest and good one? Because to be frank with you, and you know I'm going to say what I'm going to say—you might not know it, but you'll know when I, it comes out—I don't think men are doing a very good job at teaching. They're doing a dreadful job at teaching. I think most of the Bible teachers who are male certainly in the UK, are pretty shocking. So if women are thinking, man alive, these men, they're shocking, they're dreadful. There's a truth in the gospel that we're missing because these men are not doing a good enough job. And they're thinking, right, we need to get on this because we can do a better job. And if they then turn up and they're like preaching the Bible and explaining passages so that the word is becoming... You think, well, actually, there's something good there because they're shaming men who are failing to do their roles and they're doing it as it is intended to be. It might be that the women even say, look, this is what it should look like, this is what it should be like. Are you men going to step up? Because then that will give us the freedom to step back down so that we can reflect the creation order. It might be they even go that far. Because interestingly, but the problem is, is I don't think that is the motivation. I don't think that is the drive. I think ultimately, and I've seen evidence of this, it's just basically, well, this is something I can't do. So it's something that I'm damn well going to make sure I can do. And I think that's what the drive is. Interestingly, a lot of the women who I know, who are very good teachers—this isn't exclusively—but a lot of the women I know who are very, very good teachers. They don't teach. As in, they teach in the context of women and children, yeah, women and children, but they don't teach men. If, in in that context, uh, is that? moving towards an answer yeah yes yeah. john um if as you say the whole role is not to fire us yes good question. First thing then, so I don't think I'm saying that our roles don't define us. I'm just saying that our roles are not what give us worth. So, so my my thought process there is... If, so, if I'm a female and I'm thinking, oh, well, I can't teach, that means I'm lesser, then what I'm exploring there is actually we don't need that drive to take that role and have that role as females because that's not where our worth and importance lies. Our worth and importance lies in the things that we've talked about. So, I'm not saying they don't define us. That, that's kind of not where the argument is. So, actually, the reason why it is important that we do do this is because if God's created a. And, you know, if God has created us and given us this creation order, and if it is God, man, woman, creation, and that's turned on its head. If then Jesus comes and reestablishes that order, and that order is creation, God, woman. Sorry, God, man, woman, creation. Then that does matter. If that's the order that Jesus has reestablished, because that's the order that was there at the start, then that does matter. That is important. Um, so that's why. I think it needs raising. Not not because, yeah. I hope that makes sense logically here. Yeah. Um yeah, you're quite right. Um we haven't got to uh the qualification for overseers, but um I do think Adrian's job is uh hanging in the balance. <laughs> um yeah, we We get to this next week. I've not looked at it, but from what I do know... um, Well, I... So... Okay, so here's an answer. In Ephesus and in the time, there well could be a... uh, Oh, I can't think what it is. Polygamy. Polygamy going on in um, Ephesians and and that sort of thing. So, if, um, to where it says the husband of one wife, it could mean not, it could mean as in not multiple wives, but one wife. Now, of course, the reason it's given for them being one wife is that, um, and having a family is if you can't care for your family, then you can't care for the church. Um, And if you've got... Yeah. So, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to have a wife, or it doesn't mean you have to have a wife, but it does mean you mustn't have more than one wife, because that's problematic. So, it's not that that's been ignored and like well we can skip over that one why can't we skip over this one but rather in the context that's the context in which a one wife has been affirmed Is that all right yeah but no I think I mean there are other things we could pick up on and, and say okay yeah because yeah you are right we have to be consistent if we're going to do this we have to be consistent um okay we've had three questions I'll leave it there. Um, And we will, we're going to sing by faith and then we're going to finish off with a further reflection.